Amen. Amen. My brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, today, before we get into this, the text, let's just pray and ask for God's grace. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, we just thank you for your work in our life. God, we thank you for our salvation, God. We thank you for taking us out of the pit, God. We thank you for our resurrected life, God. We have life because of you. Your Holy Spirit works inside of us, God. You're moving in us to carry out and to do your purposes, God. We say thank you that you've made these vessels made out of, out of clay, out of dust, God, into something great because your Spirit is working inside of us, Lord. God, give me understanding as I study your scriptures, Lord. Um, touch your people. Open their, their hearts as you did with Lydia, God, to receive your truth, Lord. Without your spirit, God, these are just words on a page. These are just ink on, on paper, God. It is you that illuminates. So, Lord, we ask that you just come and touch. Touch your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, by God's sovereign grace and will, my, my teaching today, which I would say probably is more of a teaching, um, is kind of a part two of Pastor Brian's message last week when Pastor Brian spoke on the kingdom of God largely. And so it's, it's going to be kind of a, a part two of that, if you will. And so uh, our main text will be Matthew chapter six, verse 33, but we're going to start in 25 and come down. And again, um, as the last time I spoke, I kind of gave you a disclaimer. Um, I really don't want to get into like end time controversies. And, and so I, I believe that we all can agree that Christ is going to return. <laughs> right. So we want to get into how many times resurrection, how long the period. Uh, I don't want to go there, but we know that Christ is going to return. And so um, well, let's just agree on that. And so today we're going to look at Matthew chapter six, verse thirty three. We're going to start in 25, and we're going to speak about the kingdom of God, part two, if you will. Amen, we here? So starting in 25, I'm come out to New American Standard Bible. I don't know which one you have, so it may read a little bit different if you have a different one. But the text reads, this is Jesus speaking to the people. He says, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. As to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much? Um, are you not worth much more than they? Who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory, uh, in his glory, clothes himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, us who are made in his image? You of little faith. 31. Do not worry then saying, what shall we eat? What uh, will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? 32. For even are the Gentiles, those of the world, the nations eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Here is our key verse, a powerful verse. 33. But seek first 
the kingdom of God, or your text may say his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let's just go to 34 since we're already here. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has um, enough trouble of its own. The word of God for the people of God. And so before we get into our, our key text, for me, I think for, for us to really get a, a grasp of what he's talking about here, we really have to have a great understanding of the kingdom. So this teaching will largely be on the kingdom, and then we'll get into the context of this message. But first, it'll be to, to really discuss the kingdom of God, what it looks like, what it is. And so what we learned from last week with Pastor Ryan, when he was discussing the kingdom of God, we learned that um, we must receive the kingdom of God like a what? Child. We receive the kingdom of God like a child or with childlike faith. We, we learn that the, the kingdom of God, um, we must be humble in receiving that. Um, last week, he also said that we, uh, the kingdom of God is righteousness. So righteousness should be a part of our, our, our life and, and our habits. Um, we also learned that the kingdom, our entrance into the kingdom of God is a work of God and not man. Remember the, the, the rich young ruler, and we've seen how he said, it, you know, it's impossible with man, but with God, it's, it's possible to enter into. So those are some of the, the, the key things that we had picked up and learned about the, the kingdom of God. But for me, in the past, I would say, when I, when I read anywhere in Scripture, even maybe for some of you, when I, when I looked in the Scripture and it was talking about the kingdom of God, I often thought of some future event. I, I seen it as more futuristic. I seen it as a, a physical place. And so when I, when I seen this in a text, oftentimes the kingdom of God, I'm thinking of something forward looking. And especially if you look at Jesus' teachings on the kingdom of God, or if you look at his parables, they're often futuristic. He's often, often pointing towards the future. And so you can fully follow me. I want to give you an example of this. Go to, to Luke chapter 22, and we will use our Bible a lot here, because I don't want to just speak. I want to go to the scripture, so you will use your Bible. So I would say don't just put it down. Let's go to Luke 22. We're going to look at a, a time when Jesus speaks of the kingdom as more of a, a future event. We're going to look at verse 28. All right, we're there. And just to give you a little context here. There, we're at the Last Supper. Jesus is with the disciples. They're discussing. The disciples, you, you see their pridefulness coming out. They're wondering who's going to be the greatest. You know, you know how we, how we men sometimes when we, you get together, you get a bunch of guys and your, your pride is going, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. And so it's pride going on here. It's, it's some different things happening here where disciples are saying, who's going to be the greatest? And so Jesus basically shows them that, you know, the person that's the greatest is going to be the one that's serving. But then he says this in 28, Luke 22, verse 28. He says, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So when I, when I look at that text, I say, oh, okay, he's talking about something future. This is not right now. He, he's speaking of a future kingdom here. So, so Jesus is not talking about the present necessarily, but he's talking about a, a future kingdom, something where they're actually sitting at a table with Christ. Now I want you to compare that with Luke 16, 16. So stay in Luke. Go to Luke 16, 16. Hear the pages turning? I love my, my pastor would, uh, would always say, boy, I love to hear those pages turning. <laughs> I mean, you brought your Bibles. Luke 16, 16. Now let's look what the scripture says. It says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And guess what? Everyone is forcing his way what? into it so hold on so when we looked at it in 22 the kingdom of god was more futuristic or coming when i look here in luke 16 the kingdom of god is kind of it's presently attainable and you can even go to um you don't have to go there but you can go to colossians 1 where he says that he meaning god has rescued us meaning his sovereign will he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son that's also present and right now so one scripture or in other parables jesus makes the kingdom more futuristic or it's coming and then when i look at other parables and other descriptions the kingdom of god seems like it's presently attainable that it's right now so the question is, which one is it? Is it all future or is it presently attainable? The question is, which one, right? What is it? Is it future, Jerome? I'm looking at here or is it presently attainable? The kingdom of God is both presently attainable, meaning right now, and it's also future. See, the kingdom of God, when a, when a person turns from their sin and repentance with godly sorrow and submits to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, guess what? The kingdom of God has come to this person. That's when it's presently attainable. And I like kind of how, how John Piper puts it. He, he, he says that the, the kingdom of God is uh, the reign of God and not so much the realm so it's not about the, the realm or the place, but it's more about the, the reign of God. And when we say the reign of God, I mean when God is reigning in the hearts, in the lives of his people, when God's will is being carried out in our lives, see, that means that the kingdom of God is now being manifested in you. So the kingdom of God is God's reign over our hearts, over our lives. And when that is happening, when his will is being done, then the kingdom of God is now being manifested in us. We've entered in two. And this is why Jesus, when you look in, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he tells them to say, thy kingdom what? Come. Thy will be what? Done on earth as it is in heaven. So when God's kingdom comes upon us, when his will has been done in our life, that is the kingdom. And so that is why Christ preaches the kingdom this way. That is how we enter in. It's when we have submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Lord and Savior when that happens in the kingdom of God is upon us when we are carrying out God's will and purpose for our lives his will the kingdom of God has come upon us so the question to ask yourself then 
is, have I entered the kingdom of God? Have you entered the kingdom of God? Have you submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord? Do you believe you are a sinner, that you have nothing to offer to God? That you are totally dependent upon God's work? You're totally dependent upon his salvation? That's the question. Have you gone through that? Have you thought about that? The other question we would ask in, what does a citizen of the kingdom of God look like? Because if I want to know, okay, have I entered into the kingdom of God? What does that look like, right? I mean, give me some type of context, Brother Jerome, so I can see, okay, how can I compare myself? What, what do I have to look at to see what are the, are, are the fruits of the kingdom of God that I could say, okay, I've, I've entered in. This is, this is a part of me. Pastor Brian gave us great examples last week. Humility. Faith. Like a child. Righteousness. Understanding that it's a work of God and not ourselves. We're seeing so those are some of the, the fruits of the kingdom of God. But we also can see that Jesus Christ makes it clear on what the citizens of the kingdom of God looks like on the Sermon on the Mount. And we will go there briefly. But first, I want to give you an example that God really showed me on how to, how to view the, the, the kingdom of God. I was One day I was driving down the street, and I seen a, a gentleman, and some of you at Reality Light, you've heard me use this example before. I seen a gentleman who... I, I guess he was a he was a foreigner. He was he he looked like I don't think he was born here in America. He had his he, like Indian garb on, all, all his clothing. He had his whole Indian clothing on. Um, you look at his face. You can tell he wasn't. He maybe have not been born here. Um, when he speaks, you can tell he had a strong accent. And so um, without me actually going to speak to him and have a conversation with him, just by his appearance, by his talk, I can tell he probably is not from here. He's probably not maybe born here. This, even though he's living here in America, I need you to get this. Even though he's living here in America, the way that he dresses reflects a different place. The way that he looks reflects a different place. The way that he talks reflects a different place. Even though he's living here in America, there's something different about this guy that you can tell he's not from America. That is what the kingdom of God looks like upon us as believers. Even though we live in a world, even though we reside in the world, the way that we operate, the way that we talk, the way that we carry ourselves it is reflective of a different kingdom that is what the kingdom of god looks like even though we live in this world we are under a different rule we are no longer bound by the prince of the power of the air as it talks about in ephesians 2 we are no longer attached to that slave we are no longer chains of satan anymore christ has come and broken that chain we are no longer enslaved to sin as it says in romans 6 our old person has died and it has been crucified with christ and it has been buried and we have been resurrected so we should look different why because we've entered into the kingdom sin no longer has its dominion over us we've died and been crucified with cross so we should look different the fact that jesus christ is our lord and savior that we've entered into the kingdom so that is a great example of how the kingdom of God looks and how we should look. But now let's let's go to the text and let's see how Jesus describes the citizens of the kingdom. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, chapter 5, verse 1. 
Let's look at how the citizens of the kingdom, or citizens of the kingdom, how they look, or what are the characteristics of a person who's of the kingdom? I think Jesus makes it pretty, pretty clear here. Chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Verse 2, he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And before we keep going, I just want to speak on this verse because it often gets misinterpreted. When he says, Blessed are those who's, who mourn, he's not just talking about blessed if you're sad. That's not in the context of the verse. But uh, to get a full understanding of that verse, it, you would have to read James 4, 4, 9, where it says this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Look what he says. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So when, he, when he's talking about being mourning or, or mourning, it's being upset over your sin. It's, it's hating your sin, as Pastor Brian described, where you, you want to cut it out, where we're not just nonchalant about our, our sins, but we, we hate it. We don't want it. We don't just allow it to go on and we just act normal. It, it kind of goes back to the, to the Old Testament when, when a person in the Old Testament would sin against God. You know what they would do? They would go and get sackcloth and ashes. And they would mourn over this sin. It would bother them. They just wouldn't go about their day. You, you look at David. David was, was hurt when he recognized um, what he did with Bathsheba. I mean, it, it's got to bother you. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5, he says, back in Matthew, verse 5, he says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's how, these are the people of the kingdom. These are the characteristics of the kingdom. These are the things that people of the kingdom of God, that people who have entered into the kingdom of God will begin to exhibit these things. They will begin to thirst for righteousness and will be merciful. But some of you, like me, when, when we read this list of things, you say, Brother Jerome, I, I got you. I, I love the Lord. But all of these things are not manifested in my life. So does this mean that I'm not in the kingdom? I mean, I see what you're saying. I see what Jesus is saying. But these things, I don't see them exhibited all in my life. And guess what? Me either. I don't see all these things exhibited in my life either. But that is why Jesus in our prime text, Matthew 6.33, he says to seek the kingdom of God. It is not a one-time seeking. 
It is not that I found Jesus and now I can just sit up and relax. No, it is a constant seeking. It is a constant pursuing of his kingdom. It is a constant pursuing of his righteousness. I am constantly putting my sin to death. I am constantly doing the things, as my brother Anthony said, putting off anger to the glory of God. See, I am constantly pursuing righteousness, righteousness in that manner. So this, this seeking of the kingdom of God in Matthew 6.33, is, it is not just a one-time deal. But it is a lifelong thing where I'm pursuing God and his kingdom, and I am pursuing righteousness. And when I say righteousness, I'm not talking about our own self-righteousness. Because we can only be positionally, we can only be righteous or justified by Christ. But I'm talking about in the practical, day-to-day -day living, we are striving for righteousness. We are striving for the kingdom of God. We are striving by the power of the Holy Spirit to put off anger. That is what we must do in this seeking of the kingdom of God. It is a continual thing. It is not a one-time deal. And guess what? We as children of God, one of our greatest pursuits in seeking his kingdom should be for the advancement of his kingdom. That is how we are going to pursue the kingdom of God. It is for the advancement of his kingdom. And I want to give you an example of this. Go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and look at verse, verse 30. Mark chapter 4, verse 30. Look what Jesus says. He gives a parable about the kingdom of God. He says this, and he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? He said, um, it's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shades. So what is he saying about the kingdom of God here? He's saying that the kingdom of God, it starts small. It's, it's hidden. Many people don't see it. But then it begins to grow. Just imagine you, you go and plant something in the garden, and then it begins, to, it begins to sprout up. And then he said it begins to grow off branches. And every time a person returns from their sin or re repents of their sin and, and trusts in Jesus as Savior, guess what? Another branch is growing from that tree. And then another person, they repent and turn from their sin, another branch is growing. And another branch is growing. And another branch is growing. That is the kingdom of God. As people begin to repent and turn from their sins and trust in Jesus, the kingdom of God begins to expand. It begins to grow. And so that is the, the example that Jesus has shown us here. And guess what? We are the method that God uses for the growth of his kingdom. Think about that. We are the tools that he uses so that his kingdom will grow. I kind of, I think about um, David Platt, for example. I don't know if you ever read his book, Radical. He uses a great analogy, and I can't quote him. I'm going to paraphrase, and I'm going to chop it up, so maybe you only want to attribute it to David Platt. But um, in, in, in this analogy, he, he describes how, do you know those planes that can kind of go in the sky and write stuff? 
I don't know if there's a certain technical name for those planes, but he's like, if God wanted, he could have just had like one of those planes or something in the sky where the gospel is permanently stretched in the sky that everybody in the world sees it and people read it and maybe look at it. And that's how the gospel is going to go forward. Or, or maybe God, because God is all powerful. He could have just had it just rain gospel tracks, right? He just had it rain gospel tracks, just gospel tracks, just coming out of the sky. Or, or God could have made it to where, um, I don't know, television stayed on a gospel station or, or something with it. I mean, he could have, God is all powerful, right? So he, he could have used any method that he wanted to get his message across, but he chose what? Faithful men and women. He chose 12 what, disciples. And from those disciples, guess what? The message came to us. It came to our grandparents, our moms, and it, it came to us, and it's going all throughout the world. See, that is God's method. He chose to glorify himself by expanding his kingdom through his chosen people. So we have a duty in this kingdom of God. The kingdom of God must be a priority. Us making disciples has to be a priority. And I believe this is the main point of Matthew 6.33. Let's go back there. I believe this is a, the main point of Matthew 6.33. It has to do with our priorities. Now I want you to notice something. This is, this is very important. Matthew 6.33. Jesus says, we all here? Matthew 6.33. Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In the immediate context of this verse, 25 down to 33, in the immediate context, what do we find as the biggest competitor to us seeking the kingdom of God? Just in the immediate context of verse 25 down to 33, when he says to seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is the main competitor that Jesus is highlighting that stops us from pursuing God's kingdom first? The answer? Worry? It's worry? He got, there you go. There you go. Pastor got it right there. Look at 25. The answer is in 25. He says, for this reason, I say to you, look, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So the immediate thing that Jesus is bringing out that stops us from pursuing the kingdom of God is what? It's the basic necessities of life. It's water. It's, it's food. It's clothing. And if you go and look in, uh, in Luke uh, 9, 58 through 60, we find that it's, it's shelter. We find that it's, it's family. And guess what? Water is good. Clothing is good. Food is good. Family is good. Shelter is good. All of those things are good. They are not inherently bad. But when those things begin to take priority over our pursuit of God's kingdom, that's where we have a problem. 
See, it is not always just the blatant sins that stop us from pursuing God's kingdom. It is not always just the adulteries or the pornography or the addiction to drug. It is not those, but oftentimes in a life of a believer, it is the good things. It is maybe even the righteous things that we begin to put over God's kingdom and his righteousness. And it's not always those bad things that we try to teach our kids not to do, but it can be the good things. It can be just I'm, I'm working too late so much where I'm not pursuing the kingdom of God because I'm trying to get my bank account up. It could be that I'm so in love with this hobby that, that I don't have time to do all these other things. See, it is not just the inherently sinful things that, that stop us from pursuing God's kingdom, but it's things that are normally are inherently good. I want to go, maybe I have my kid in way too many activities. Well, now I'm just a chauffeur, so I'm not out pursuing God's kingdom. I'm not out counseling. I'm not out sharing the gospel. I'm not spending time in his word because I'm doing good things, which is for my kid. I want to see them prosper. But am I doing too much? See, yes, Jerome has to guard his eyes from lusting after another woman. But guess what? I also have to guard my time to make sure I'm not wasting it on endeavors that are not going to produce any fruit. See, it is those things that stop us as believers from pursuing God's kingdom oftentimes. It's the good things. It's the things that are not really, they don't look bad on the surface. But when those things become priority over God's kingdom, that's when it's an issue. And I believe this is the same thought that is brought in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Um, let's go there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I believe we'll find that same thought here. We here? Amen. Look what it reads in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Keyword, focus on that. Let us lay aside every encumbrance, encumbrance, and guess what? Look what it says. And the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the endurance the race that is set before us notice what it says it says let us lay aside the encumbrance guess what and the sin that so easily entangled us it's not just the sin right he said the encumbrance it's other things other than just a blatant sin. I kind of look at it like this. When you, when you look at what Paul is using as an analogy, he's using a race. He's saying that we all have a race to run. And an encumbrance is something that kind of stops you from running your weight race. So imagine if I have a three-piece suit on. A three-piece suit is great, right? A three-piece suit is fine. But a three-piece suit becomes an encumbrance at the starting line of a marathon, right? 
If I'm going to run a, a marathon, I should not have a three-piece suit on. That three-piece suit is going to encumber me. It's going to stop me from picking up my, my knees and running full stride, even though there's nothing wrong with that three-piece suit. But it's just not appropriate for a race. It is an encumbrance. And that is the same thing that he's, he's bringing out here. It is not just a sin. But it's the other thing. It's the, the weight. It's spending too much time doing endeavors that are not fruitless. It's me spending too much time on my own hobby. See, it's, those are the encumbrances, the things that are not necessarily bad that stop us from running our race or stop us from pursuing and seeking the kingdom of God. Many theologians believe in the, in the immediate context of verse 12 that the encumbrance for the Hebrews was the law. That even though they were under grace, they were still trying to be under the law. And so that became just a weight to them. That became something that was weighing them down. Even though the law itself, we know that Paul says that the law is not bad. He even said it was holy in, in Romans 7, 12. It's not bad, but it can become an encumbrance when we try to stick to that law. And so that's what we find what was happening here. They had, it was sin they wanted to guard against, but it was also weight that they should put off because that weight was encumbering them from, from running their race. And the same thing that happens with us in our pursuit of the kingdom of God. It is those things that are righteous. It is those things that are good that stops us from truly pursuing God's kingdom and his righteousness. So back to Matthew 6.33. We see in 633, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added unto you, meaning that all of these needs, all of these things, all of your worries, all of your concerns will be added to you if you just focus on seeking the kingdom of God. That's the verse that I spoke of earlier today. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all authority or power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Through his Christ, God will make sure that the needs of his people are met as we seek his kingdom. We must understand that as you begin to seek God's kingdom, he will make sure that your needs are met, that you receive your daily bread so you can continue to run the race. And I, I know oftentimes when I counsel people, Outside of asking them if there's any blatant sin in their life, my first question to them is, are you seeking the kingdom of God? Because your, 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 your marriage problem or your, your finance problem may not be a finance problem. It may not be a marriage problem. It may just be a kingdom problem. It may be that you're, you are not pursuing these things. Because once you begin to pursue these things, God begins to work and change and do different things in your life. So we must ask ourselves when we run to certain issues, am I pursuing God's kingdom? Am I pursuing his righteousness? That could be the first place we need to look. It's not so just looking in, in, in a natural sense of, man, I'm just, my finances are so bad. Uh, how are we going to eat? How are we going to drink? No, let's, are you, are you kingdom motivated? 
Are you seeking his kingdom? If you are, we know that God is true. He's going to take care of his people. So you don't focus so much on the, the financial, if you will, but focus on pursuing his kingdom and all these things will be brought to you. Before we end, Ola, can you go to this, this chart I have? I created, don't, please don't laugh at me. It's a cheesy little chart. <laughs> um, it is, is the other part down there, Ola? Can you scroll up? Okay, there we go. All right. Because we we've been talking about presently entering the kingdom of God. So I just wanted to just speak briefly on, on the future entrance of the kingdom of God. Can you scroll down? Uh, this is uh, or up, I mean, yeah. So we've been talking about present, the present kingdom of God. And I just want to kind of give you this, this, this description. So the big oval is the world. It's the earth. Damn, I should have made that bigger. I'm sorry. You probably can't read that. And that second little circle, it says church visible slash invisible. And then, I man, I can't even read myself. It says Christ is the head, is the head of ruling God's will be done. So in the world, you have the church, visible and invisible. And when I say visible and invisible, um, we know that there's a ton of people that go to church, right? And these people may actually participate in ministry. They may go out and feed the homeless. They may even go out and evangelize, but they are not converted themselves. They are part of the visible church. But the ones who are truly converted, that's the invisible church. And so that's why I put invisible, invisible. And so in the church, God's will or kingdom has come. God's will is going forward. In the world, it's not. Christ, people are not submitting to Christ as king. He is not ruling. They don't see him as Lord and ruler. It is only in the church where Christ is king and he's, his, his kingdom has come and he is ruling upon us. And so those little dots you see, those are local, are a local expression of the universal church or the church at large. And so you see those different black dots in the church, in the world, you have little churches the bridge is a expression of the church and all you know um base high the bridgeway all those are expression of local churches and so that's all the the church now scroll down Oleg. when christ returns there's going to be a new heaven there's going to be a new earth the final kingdom that church will then be transferred those who have passed away, those who um, before us, those who are alive at his coming, and we all will be a part of the, the visible kingdom of God for eternity. And so that's, that's more of the future kingdom. That's a new heaven and new earth. And so that is what we all will be a part of because of Christ Jesus. And so I just wanted to make this little, little chart to kind of help you get a, uh, an understanding. It can be a lot more detail. We can go to a lot more theology, but I don't think that's necessary. I just wanted to get something uh, simple to show you the future kingdom, if you will, and who's going to be a part of it. I probably should have put church in there. And so just to, to sum this up. Matthew 6.33, Jesus tells the people to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we see that the things that in the immediate context that he's referring to that we must guard against are just the basic necessities of life. Things that we, we really feel that we need that has to be a part of our life. Those things are good and God will provide a way for us to have those things that we need. But our first priority should be pursuing God's kingdom, pursuing the righteousness of his kingdom, which Pastor Brian spoke on last week. It is those things. It is, it is evangelizing, it is sharing the gospel. It is, it is doing all of those things that Christ commanded. 
Because Jesus said that the words that he speak is the word of the kingdom. Your scripture, this is the words of the kingdom. And so as we submit to this, his kingdom has come and it's been alive in us. And guess what? As his kingdom begins to overflow in us and begin to change us, then that overflows into every other areas of our life. So when we go to work, now we're, the kingdom of God begins to spread there because now we are workers of righteousness. Because now in the way that we operate, we're, we're operating on a different way, different level. So the kingdom of God spills out all over. It doesn't just stay in the church. It's not just um, with that ecclesiology, but it's, it, it goes all throughout all parts of our, our life. That is how the kingdom of God flows. The righteousness of God flows all throughout our life. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, we thank you for your scripture, Lord. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you allow your word to just stay and settle upon the hearts of my brothers and sisters and me as well. God, in those moments of temptation, may we remember it. May we remember to pursue your kingdom above all things. May we look and trust in you as our provider, our great savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.